0: The Word of God says in Exodus, chapter 12, verses 21 through 32, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin, none of you shall go out the door of the house until the morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever and when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised you shall keep this service and when your children say to you What do you mean by this service you shall say is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said up go out from among my people both you and the people of Israel and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. This is the word of the Lord. Why should you listen to this episode um, what is in it that, uh, that, that, that you're going to take away? Well, first of all, if you listen to the end, you're going to see Christ clearly because there are multiple angles where we can see the Lord Jesus Christ in this text. Uh, but also, it's the tragic culmination of a hard heart. And I trust that we will see this both as a warning, warning for ourselves, but also as a warning for the world around us that that, that there's a responsibility we have to warn others. Uh, But in even this uh, 10th final plague, uh, there's a grand and ultimate hope which is available for every one of us. So let's dive in. There are three things in these verses that we want to cover or look at uh, to to see an insight on the doorposts in verses 21 and 22. Then we'll see the identity of the destroyer, or at least discuss the identity of the destroyer in verses 23 through 29. And finally, there is irony in the decree, certainly irony in those verses 30 through 32. But let's begin with this insight on the doorpost in verses 21 and 22. Now, I think it's important for us to just take a minute and understand that um, God's not rescuing the Hebrews because of their goodness. Um, there are three things I just want you to understand about them. First of all, their way of life. We, we, we see this word doorpost um, and door and door and doorpost mentioned multiple times as we go through these few verses. And that, that's interesting because tents don't have doorposts. They're living in houses. And you say, well, duh, and yeah, sure. But, but hang on. You see, when Jacob first moved uh, and they, they set up their tents, they were sojourners. But, but they're not really sojourners, they're, they're residents. You say, well, they were slaves. Sure, but it, it would seem that they very much had set up um, this residency there. And you say, well, was it by choice? Was it by it was slavery? I don't know. But what I do know is you go back to the example of Lot, right? Back in Genesis 13, he, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And then right in the next chapter, we see his house in Sodom. Um, and, and again, we see a situation with that parallel, like we discussed last time, of um, the destruction that the Lord brought to that place, but we see their way of life. Now, according to archaeologists, um, many Egyptian homes in that day would have been made with the sun-baked uh, clay bricks, and we discuss lessons um, from, from these bricks, I don't know, back in chapter 5, so you can go back and listen to that, but... I want us just to note that the doorpost was a structure typically made out of stone. It was viewed as like the security of the home, of the house, um, to protect it from invaders, intruders. And, uh, and I, I think that's kind of a beautiful picture that we have here where we see this was in their minds. The doorpost was this element of strength, and yet it was on that very doorpost where they had to admit their need, their weakness, their vulnerability, their sin. Uh, We'll come back to that later. Also, in the Hebrew world and Jewish world today, um, the word for doorpost, by the way, is mezuzah. Well, that's a very common word still used. Why? Because it's that that little piece that's put on the doorpost where there are uh, portions of the Torah which are inside of it, um, and it's this, this prayer, this blessing as you go in and out. Of course, it reminds us of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 9, where they're told to uh, put the Word of God on the doorpost of their home, the mezuzah, same word. But it just want us to see their way of life, they're living in Egypt, in homes, but also their words. Their words were not affirming that they trusted in the, the God of Moses in Yahweh. The last time they really had voiced their opinion was back in Exodus 5.21, where they said, The Lord look on you and judge. You've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. That was their words. And what was their worship? Well, their worship, we know, their worship was in pagan idolatry. They worshiped the same detestable gods of Egypt. Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 6 through 10 remind us of this. It says in verse 8, They rebelled against me. They were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. And then it goes on to say in verse 9, the Lord, but I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them and bring them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. See, the Lord did not do it because of their goodness He didn't didn't do it because they were a great people. He did it because he's a great God and because of his faithfulness. And so you see their way of life, their words, their worship, uh, this is the people he came to rescue. And what encouragement we're going to see at the end because that exactly is a representation of the people he comes to save today out of this sinful world as well. Those who are desperately in need of a savior, which is every soul on earth. In verse 21 we see that moses calls the elders together and uh that's that's interesting so he's uh he's working through this chain of command in a sense and it's their responsibility to tell others is that not what the lord jesus did too he brings his disciples together Um, on that mount, uh, shortly before up in Galilee, shortly before going back to heaven from the Mount of Olives later on. Of course, Galilee's up in the north, Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. But up there, he says, now go into all the world. And what are they to do? Make disciples. Make disciples. And same thing here. He calls the elders together. Now you go and select lambs. Um, So there's a responsibility to tell. But also there's repetition happening in this chapter. And sometimes we can get frustrated with repetition. But God's not frustrated with repetition. In fact, on the contrary, God encourages repetition. We need more repetition. We need to hear the gospel over and over and over. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Um, I I, I love uh, the, the line of that psalm. Uh, where it, it speaks of, I love to tell the story to those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, it'll be the old, old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story. See, God's in favor of repetition. What does Paul say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13? Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Read it over and over again, like the other song. Sing it over again to me, wonderful words of life. In 2 Timothy 1.6 he says, reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words. It goes on. Uh, in Titus chapter 3, 1 and 2, he talks about reminding them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient. Going on, remind, remind, remind. Repetition. And we're going to see a lot more of that in Exodus, too. I mean, we got a huge chunk describing how the tabernacle is to be constructed. And then a few chapters later, much of it is repeated. And we think, why all this real estate of Scripture used to repeat? Because God emphasizes through the use of repetition and still does today. But in this repetition, there are a couple new details that we didn't know beforehand. One is that they are to use hyssop. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that's in the basin. The other thing we learn is none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. I'm not going to say much on the going out the door of the house until morning. All I want to say is if you want to do some further study, look at that in parallel to the cities of refuge, which again are a picture of Christ. But that's for your own study, that's all I'm going to say on it. Hyssop, um, you can look up all the the details of what hyssop is, Um, but if you go to Israel and please come join us for a trip sometime, it is indeed life changing, but you'll see hyssop around. It's it's very um, readily available and growing in the land of Israel. Of course, they're not in the land of Israel at this point, but just wanted to say it is um, but with that being said they're to take a bunch of hyssop that word bunch typically is like a band like a band of men um, but take a bunch they're not just taking one little twig um, it's not a twig it's like a one little um yeah, stem of it but instead they're taking a whole group what is the idea behind this that this is not some kind of covert mission of putting dots of blood on the doorpost They're smearing that blood. This is a public declaration, uh, a public declaration that our confidence is in the lamb who was slain on our behalf. And oh, I pray that in our lives, this picture would be so clear. But hyssop, hyssop's only mentioned 10 times in the Old Testament. And in all but one time, and the, that one time would be, I, I believe it's First Kings chapter 4. You can check it out to, um, to, to verify that. And if it's not right, please put in the comments um, that it's a different portion of Scripture. But um, in, in all the other times, it's consistently used in connection with purification. Uh, and probably the most well-known would be Psalm 51, right? When, when David um, sins, we say with Bathsheba, but Uriah, the nation, many were affected by it, right? And in most of all against the Lord because that's what he says in Psalm 51 right against you and you only have I sinned and he says this purge me with hyssop purification right purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me I'll be whiter than snow why discuss this hyssop other than the fact that it's in the text it points us to Jesus that's why why would the scriptures add the detail in John 19 that they took hyssop and that's what they offered to the Lord on a band of hyssop, on this this bunch of hyssop. But think about what was going on then. As they offered this sour vinegar to the Lord on that hyssop, they were touching the door. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And what were they touching? They were touching the very opening of that door, the mouth. The mouth of the Lord Jesus Oh, the picture is clear and again you might think sometimes are you taking it too far well you know what if I am um, I, I take it back to the Word of God and, and and see if it's not pointing to him but I truly believe these pictures are for us to see Christ is our everything and without him we have nothing and we know in luke 24 27 when jesus taught the word beginning with moses and all the prophets what did he do he showed the things concerning himself this is about him and so we see insight on the doorposts Um, but in verse 22 uh, we also can just note that it's not just merely about the shedding of the blood was it it was about the application of the blood and i just want you to understand jesus christ has died for your sins Jesus Christ has risen and conquered death for you, and if you place your trust in him, you will rise also. But it's not just about the fact that he died, the question is, have you accepted it? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, a gift that you can receive is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. The second thing we want to see is the identity of the destroyer. We see this in verses 23 through 25. I want to make this very clear. I'm not being dogmatic, but I am strongly suggesting what I'm sharing. And and, and many others have said it far more eloquently than I can. But I'm throwing it out there for you to think about. Because I think there's a, a beauty in seeing the cost of sin and the love of our savior watch this you see in the identity of the destroyer look at the language which is employed throughout this passage in verse 23 we see it says the lord will pass through to strike the egyptians so yahweh is going to strike the egyptians but in the very same verse he says and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you some people have many different um many different identities of this destroyer But look at verse 27, it says it's the it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. So the Lord is doing the striking. And yet at the same time, it's the destroyer that's actually doing the destroying. And then in verse 29 at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Now, just to be consistent, we also have this language used in Psalm 105 verse 36 where it speaks of him striking down the firstborn in the land. In Psalm 135 verse 8 it speaks of him striking down the firstborn of Egypt both of man and of beast. In Psalm 136 verse 10 to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever. So, Was it the Lord or was it this destroyer? Is is the destroyer the Lord? Why is he mentioned separate of the Lord? Is it just the Lord that's using the destroyer to do his will and thus he gets the credit? Well, in Psalm 78, things get a little more complicated, right? Because there it talks about, speaking of the the plagues, right? Um, He gave their cattle over to the hail, flocks to thunderbolts, let loose on them burning anger, wrath, indignation, distress. And it says a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. And then it says he struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. In all fairness, the Psalm 78 passage, destroying angels, is somewhat misleading because it's not the same terminology which is being used. See, the term being used over in, Gen- in Exodus chapter 12, very clearly, this term for destroyer is mashit. Mashit. And, and we need to understand this because this term mashit, um, or, or um, there is the... Um, the, the form destroy, which is shehet, which is like the root that it comes from. Um, I want us to understand this, that that term is very often used for God doing the destruction. So in other words, it's used in Genesis chapter 6 when God's going to destroy the world. It's used in Genesis 9 when God says, I'm not going to destroy the world in that way again. It's used in Genesis 19, uh, Genesis 18, when when God tells Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. In chapter 19, when he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, this term of destruction is used often. But think about this. When you get to 1 Chronicles 21, and after David sinned, uh, a different sin, and he's, um, he's, you know, he's at the threshing floor, which ultimately becomes the site of the temple later on, right? So this is Mount Moriah. He sees the angel of the Lord in First Chronicles twenty one sixteen, standing between earth and heaven. And, uh, and it's interesting. What was the angel of the Lord there for? In verse 15, it says, God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy Shehet, same word. And it says, but as he was about to destroy Shehet it, The Lord saw and he relented from the calamity and he said to the angel who was working destruction, Mashit, same word, destroyer, it is enough, now stay your hand. So this very same angel of the Lord, by the way, we had a whole episode on the angel of the Lord. If you haven't listened to that, please go back. It pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we see here? We see that God sent his angel, the angel of the Lord, well when you look throughout scripture you see very clearly this is a christophany this is a picture of jesus christ i mean we we see this angel of the lord being worshipped and that angel not even telling them to get up why because he's worthy of worship why because he is god that second person of the trinity the angel of the lord and we see on multiple occasions that this angel of the lord carries out destruction in the old testament scriptures um, or his hand is stayed in the case of 1 Chronicles 21, by the way, parallel passage in 2 Samuel uses the same words. Um, but what we, what we ultimately see, at least at other times, is this destroying angel of Yahweh is actually the visible Yahweh, Jesus Christ later on, this anointed one, the Messiah. But of course, um, the Old Testament scriptures before um, it, him appearing. Well, am i saying without any doubt this is the lord jesus no but i am strongly suggesting because notice again what is said in verse 23 the lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses we have yahweh and we have the destroyer and yet we have very clearly from that point on the lord taking the credit for doing the striking down why because three in one I and my Father are one. But is this not a beautiful picture? Please meditate on this. The very one who here, if it is the Lord Jesus, comes to destroy those who have not the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts is the very only begotten of the Father who comes as the Lamb of God and gives His blood, His life, so that wretched, rebellious people like Nate Bramson can be saved and have eternal life. What a flip, flipped script. What a change of the, 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 the narrative, right? What we have is we have a God who so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. What is the identity of this destroyer? Well, what I'm gonna say is it's clearly the Lord that claims the action, but how does he do it? Well, it would seem that he does this consistently through his angel, the angel of the Lord who throughout the Old Testament pictures Jesus Christ. Again, you take it back, look at it more clearly. I'm sorry if I didn't explain that clearly. There was definitely a struggle, but at the same time, the picture is beautiful and it is worth us spending time thinking it through. Um, But think about this uh, a little beyond. In verse 23, again, um, it talks about the Lord passing over the door that has blood on it. That word Passover is um, from a verb, pasach, and it actually resembles an Egyptian word pesh, which is um, to spread wings over or to protect, um, which is just beautiful, because the destroyer passes over the houses With blood on the doorpost, there's a protection that is there. Um, But ultimately, why? Why did the angel of the Lord, why did this destroyer pass over? Well, he passed over because the price had been paid. Because the blood had been shed. Because justice was satisfied. Of course, I think the picture is becoming very clear that such is our story as well. See, God's eye wasn't on how beautiful the house was, was it? It wasn't on, was it a palace or a dungeon? It wasn't on whether it was made of gold or whether it was made of clay. His eyes were on the doorposts. Was the blood there or not? And I'm thankful, that's an understatement, I'm thankful that when the Lord God looks at my life, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain for me the passover lamb as paul tells the church at corinth but going on we remember in hebrews eleven twenty-eight 28 that uh, by faith he kept moses kept the passover sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them the destroyer of the firstborn so in verse 26 uh, it, it, we have a, a seder tradition right um, where the children say What do you mean by this service? Well, at the Seder, there's actually four questions asked by four children, and they actually label those children. One child's the wise child, there's the bad child, there's the simple child, and then there's a child who doesn't know how to ask questions. Well, this question is asked by the bad child. You might say, why? What's so bad about asking the question, um, what do you mean by this service? But think about it. There's a disconnection in verse 26, what do you mean by the service? Not, what do we mean by the service? And that's why they call it the bad child. See, what they're saying is, there is a personal identification with the story. There's a a personal need for that lamb to be slain, to be killed in our place. And, And I think this is really a beautiful connection for us. Why? Because we, too, have the same responsibility as was being said here, to tell, we already, I mentioned this before, to tell this story over and over again. But what as our story? Jesus Christ died for my sins. Yes, for our sins, for his bride. But I want us to clearly get the fact that there is no disconnection here. He's speaking of what he has done for us, how he saved us. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Wow, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In verse 27, though, something interesting happens because we, we, we know these, these, these Hebrews haven't exactly been loving Yahweh. And yet, when they hear this, it says, You shall say it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And then it says at the end of verse 27, And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. <laughs> they bowed their heads and worshipped. And then it goes on to say, they went and did what the Lord said, what, what, what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. They obeyed. But get this, they worshipped. They didn't worship after he passed over. They worshipped before he passed over. They worshipped when he said he would pass over. And this is really true worship. True worship is trusting God even when we don't see the full story. Trusting God because of who he is, not just what he's done, um, but ultimately, like what he's done is, uh, is, is how we, we know him. But I want us to see so clearly here that worship for us as believers, worship for us as followers of Jesus Christ, it happens when we're in the storm, when we don't have the answers we're asking for, when we don't know the what of the next chapter, but we know the one who holds tomorrow. And this is the theme of Exodus, right? That he's drawing a people out for himself. Um, And and so how beautiful it is. And it's beautiful, too, because uh, he's speaking of salvation in the past tense. And he hasn't even passed over yet. But, of course, the words of the Lord are yes and amen. In verse 29. It happens in the middle of the night at midnight. The Lord strikes down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who is in the dungeon, all the firstborn of the livestock. Uh, I like the way that Dennis Prager said it. There's one little issue I have with it, which I'll know in a minute, but he says the Torah spends several verses on the Paschal sacrifice and the commandment to eat unleavened bread, but only one verse on the killing of the firstborn. It's as if the 10th plague is too painful to relate, as the Egyptians too are God's creatures, and many of the firstborn are innocents. The part I disagree with is that many of the firstborn are innocents. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, there there was not one uh, innocent person truly that that, uh, died. Um, We're all guilty because of sin. Both guilty because we're conceived in sin, but also that we're born. um, We're born and we sin. But, I, I want us to think about this. God loves the Egyptians. And God loves souls. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. In fact, he's not willing any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And there's actually a law written in the Torah, and maybe you've missed it before, but you can go check it out sometime. Deuteronomy 23, verse 7. It says this, that you shall not abhor an Edomite, and then it goes on to say, for he's your brother, and then you shall not abhor an Egyptian. Why? Because you were a sojourner in his land. Isn't it interesting? God makes a law. Don't abhor the Egyptians. Why? Because again, created in the image of God. God has a plan for them too. And we, we can see that later on in prophecies in the Old Testament. But God loves the Egyptians. And so I just wonder today, wow, what if, what if the, the enemies of the Jews had such a law written in? Don't abhor the Jews. I think we probably see a very different political situation in the Middle East. But all that to say um, that at midnight, the Lord did strike down the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Just one solemn verse mentioned there. And then in verse 30, we see the result. Pharaoh rises up, he and all his servants, and there was a great cry in Egypt. I do just want to make one more note there that God touches This is not just an indirect through a plague, but this is God coming down. This destruction, this destroyer, this final plague, this death of the firstborn, God comes down. Please don't miss the parallel and the connection that God comes down again later, but this time it's not to destroy the firstborn, but rather he lays down his life for all souls in the world that we might live forever. Oh what uh, what again, what a flipped script we have. Um, but going on to our final point, we have insight on the doorpost, identity of the destroyer and finally the irony in the decree. And the irony is definitely there. What happens? I mentioned Pharaoh rises up, there's a cry in the land, he summons Moses and Aaron by night and he says up go out from among my people both you and the people of israel and go serve the lord as you have said take your flocks and your herds as you as you have said and be gone and bless me also what is the irony here well first of all look look what he's saying he's saying up go out take be gone (laughs) but he's still not yielding he's commanding you say well he's yielding because that's what the lord wanted and that's what moses and aaron were saying the whole time and sure you're right why because god God's word is true. See, Pharaoh had a choice on how he was going to go about doing it, but it was going to be done. Well, he refused to yield. He refused to yield. He refused to yield. I could say that a few more times, and and now we come to the point where there is no choice, and yet even when there is no choice, we see him state it as a command Um, Still trying to hold on to something maybe? I don't know. It would seem as chapter 14, he's going to go after them one more time. Uh, But he even tells them, take your flocks and your herds. Not just, oh, well, if they happen to take their flocks and herds, it's fine. I'm not going to stop them. He's like, no, you better take your flocks and herds. Like, you get out of here. I don't want any more discussion or conversation. But then he throws in this one little detail at the end of verse 32, which I find fascinating. And bless me also. And bless me also. Last uh, November, I took my wife Priyanka to uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Um, it was a Broadway that was coming through Greenville, South Carolina. And I've always loved Fiddler on the Roof. And back to the old, the old uh, film. Um, and uh, the, the script was almost verbatim uh, to the film I had grown up on. So really enjoyed it. And there's this one part of it where I, I, a young Russian Jew is asking the town rabbi about. Um, about a blessing for the Tsar. And of course, if you know Fiddle on the Roof, the Tsar is um, really the oppressor, right, of the Jews. And uh, the, the rabbi certainly doesn't like the Tsar, but he's convinced there's a blessing for everyone. And he thinks about it as blessing for a Tsar. And then finally he says, May the Lord bless the Tsar and keep him far away from us. Well, I think when, when Pharaoh says, bless me also, Um, I don't know it's He rejected the opportunity to be blessed. He rejected what God wanted to give him and now he throws it in as just a a aside an amendment at the end say bless me also Friends are you ignoring the word of the Lord in your life? God does get the last word God does get his way See, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. And yet I just wonder, are we doing like Pharaoh, where we're refusing to yield to what God's word says about holiness, to what God's word says about truth? It's not my truth or your truth, it's his truth. Are you trying to blend culture? Are you trying to navigate around God's word so that you don't have to deal with abrasion from society? Friends, we're not called to fit in. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And yet how easy it is for us to be so similar to Pharaoh. And yet it finally comes to this point where he's like, get out of here. Again, let's just end where we began. We need to understand who were these people that God redeemed? Who were these people that he pulled out of Egypt? Who were these people that he rescued? people whose way of life looked like Egyptians, peoples whose words were not affirming of their God, peoples whose worship was pagan and idolatrous. And yet God in his love came down and passed over. See, it reminds me of Romans chapter five, verses six through nine, for while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, since therefore we have been justified by his blood. You see that connection? Justified by his blood, by the Lamb of God, by the Passover Lamb, our Passover Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See, if he didn't spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things with him? hang, Hang on. Because who is there to condemn? Is it the very one who gave his life for us? The destroyer? And yet, no, the deliverer. Friends, you have a choice. And your choice today is this. Will you see Jesus Christ today as your Savior? Or will you one day face him as your judge? The reality is this, God loves you. And the reality is this, God wants to save you. But the reality is also this, there's only one way to be saved. And that is, have you accepted the blood that was shed for the payment of your sins so that you can stand before a holy God and be declared righteous? It's possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's promised through the Lord Jesus Christ. This has been Into Your Bible. And uh, again, please check out our website at www.intoyourbible.org for more resources and free downloads and other things. Um, And for sure, please subscribe to not miss an episode and share it with friends. But most of all, remember that it is our prayer here where we seek a generation who loves the word of God and the God of the Word. Thanks for listening to Into Your Bible, the podcast, an extension of the ministry of Rock International. This is a place where we dive into the Holy Bible, seeking a generation who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word. Wherever you listen, subscribe to not miss an episode. And if you want to take things a step further, leave a review so others can find it too. For free resources, show notes, and more, check out our website at www.intoyourbible.org. Until next time, keep diving in.